Nobody wants to end up in family court, but if you do, you want an honest, experienced family law attorney by your side to help minimize the stress, mental anguish, and legal costs that divorce and custody matters bring. Welcome to In Your Best Interest. Texas divorce attorney and entrepreneur Justin Sizemore of the Sizemore Law Firm, entrepreneur Andrea Jones, freelance writer Mary Maloney, and guests share insight on what to expect and how to handle family law matters, the changing landscape of family law, and living the entrepreneur's life. Now, on to the show. In the last episode of In Your Best Interest, we discussed the key steps of the divorce process, temporary orders, discovery, mediation, and trial. Today, we'll share insight on tactics attorneys use in the family courts, what to expect during a direct cross-examination, and what happens when your ex keeps dragging you back to court. Thanks for joining us for this episode of In Your Best Interest. I'm Mary Maloney, and today, attorney Justin Sizemore, entrepreneur Andrea Jones, and I will shed more light on the twists and turns people face in the family courts. Hey, let's start with you today, Justin. Um, one big thing we always talk about is how critical that first meeting is with your divorce attorney, that initial consultation, how that sets the stage for what comes next. Can you explain what people should expect during that initial consult and what they should walk out the door knowing when they leave? Yeah, I, I think having a process in, involved in the, in the consultation is really as important for the lawyer as a process for the client to the lawyer. Uh, and what I mean by that is when I go into the consult, I have a very set way of doing consults. It's kind of interesting. Sometimes we'll go back two or three years and you actually, uh, the people say, well, yeah, I just told you that. And, you know, it's been two years since I've slept a few times since then. But, but the process of the consult is important because it keeps you on pace. It keeps you with respect to being on track with what you need to get, get from the client. And oftentimes the client wants to rush into the issue. And obviously we want to answer all the questions, but if the attorney doesn't have a good process for how they set up the Q and a session, what you can find is a lot of time wasting and you don't get to the real meat of what you need. So what I try to do is really set the, the, the tone and the stage with respect to the consult asking them the 50,000 foot view of the estate. And oftentimes that's when they want to jump into, but he's doing this or she's doing this. And it's really important for me to get my notes down, like when you go to the doctor, so that we can dive right into what the issues are and more importantly, what they're not. Obviously a professional that does the same thing over and over should have a really good way to get you to the meat of what you need so that you're really maximizing that time. And so when, they, when the client comes into the consult and really feels led by the attorney, I feel like the consults, as you do them over and over, you get better at them, just like any other job. Uh, and the clients really feel a sense of comfort when they're walking through those issues. And again, I'd, I like to take lead at the beginning so that they know they're in good hands. Uh, we've really taken charge of what we need to. And then we can dive into the issues. So my, my consults really start out with a 50,000 foot view. And then I walk into kind of the process of the court and what they can expect. And then we go into the emotional issues. And what I've found is that it really opens up the eyes and ears of the participant in the consult as much as mine, uh, because the emotion isn't the, the, the starting point. Um, and so we get everything, everybody calms down, they breathe, they understand we're here to serve them and help them through the process. And, and that's when we can really move forward into really what the court does. And I don't expect clients to memorize everything. We see a lot of times where clients, 
you know, they, they're trying to frantically write everything down and hold on to every piece of information. I, I really stress the importance at the beginning of you don't need to memorize this. You don't need to write this down. Let's just have an open dialogue like you and I are doing right now um, so we can walk through their issues. And then we walk through process. And then uh, after that, we go through really the fundamental issues they're having. And then I do a follow-up call after they engage us about 48 hours later to do another recap. You know, we, we found that to be a really beneficial process for us. So, you know, one thing that we didn't or I didn't mention, one thing I didn't mention earlier is that you at, at the Sizemore Law Firm really prepare for those consults before the, the client walks in the door. So it's not like you're first looking at their case for the first time. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I think that there's two, two important issues there. One, what the client's notes are on our Q&A that they send to us, they're important because we get numbers wrong, names wrong, people are stressed when they're calling an attorney. And so I, I really try to open the door again. And I tell them, look, I want to get everything in my short form. Okay. And what I really mean by that is you've got a laundry list of things that are going to be more important down the road that we pull information from. But I have a very finite and specific amount of information and, and quantifiable data that I need to get in my short form that really pulls from the information they've already provided. And then we kind of dive into a couple of issues. So I know some clients sometimes feel like they've answered the question twice and that can feel frustrating, but I can dive right into the estate, big or small, and pull that information out of the client. It's really to engage them in speaking and feeling comfortable. And then they start to listen and they, they get some confidence that they've answered some questions and it has simple as they may be, that really starts the conversation flowing. And then they know that they can trust when they start getting feedback and information from me. I feel like that's when they can really trust the attorney-client relationship. And then we move into the meat of really the issue. So there is preparation to answer your question, but it's not as it's not as significant as one might think because I really need to gauge the conversation and how we communicate with each other. So I know, A, how they're going to answer questions in a courtroom, which may be four to five days away. Um, B, that they can they can literally trust that when I ask them a question and I can direct them, that they will be very direct with their answers. And I start that way because that really is the same thing we do in a courtroom. It's the direct examination portion. And I know we're going to get to some cross-examination questions in a bit, but that's really the direct examination. What do you do for a living? How long have you been married? Um, what does your husband do? Have you all separated? Uh, you know, and I walk through a list of questions that I've candidly got burned into my brain. Then we take the notes down so that when they follow up, some clients don't need to hire us right then. When, when they follow up, all of that information is down in my short form and it's accessible on my iPhone. And that's why I'm able to be everywhere and anywhere uh, when a client calls back. I also am very particular about uh, the days and times we do consults. Uh, I used to do them every day whenever somebody would call. Now I have set days. We do them just like a surgeon does. And so I think we as business people, we try to figure out the best process to really maximize what we're best at, when we're best at it, and how we're best at it. So I think that uh, that answers some of the preliminary questions. For sure. And you had touched on emotions earlier, and we're talking about tactics today that attorneys use to help their clients get the best outcome for their case. Is Are there any circumstances where you would recommend a client puts their divorce on hold just so they can get a handle on their emotions? And if so, when would you do that? Absolutely. So not only putting the divorce on hold, but whether it's the right time to file. Okay. So 
when somebody's already dealing with the stress of their family members, uh, the stress of financial issues, they might they might be going through a bankruptcy or or various other issues, criminal issues. I tell people don't put too much on your plate. We we all have a tendency to want to solve the immediate problem immediately. You know, a lot of people identify the immediate problem is the issue with their spouse. And if they can just get the spouse out of the way, then they can untangle some of the other messes. But, you know, when you when you get involved in stressful litigation and you've got all these other issues and you really haven't laid out a clear plan, it's just like any business. You know, sometimes we have to say, hold on, tap the brakes here. You need to get your finances at least somewhat in order. You need to know what's there. You need to if you haven't worked and you don't have any kind of idea what you're going to do there, and there's not some pot of gold uh, at the end of the rainbow because the other party is financially irresponsible, then then we tell them to hold on. Okay, uh, I'm very particular on that, and and I still get the calls back. What about now? What about now? And I say just not yet. And and we also get that same question in modifications. People want to fire off the custody case because they know the pain point is the other side, and the burden of proof may not have been met yet. So I I, I want to answer that two ways. One we stop the litigation before it starts until it's ready to start. And then two, we have situations where sometimes it's just people wanting to try to do different things with respect to counselors and family counseling. And, you know, they want to tap the brakes on the litigation. Uh, they've had a really good weekend, a really good meeting with their spouse or significant other. And I, I never want a lawyer to get in the way of decent humans being really good at what they do uh, when they can handle the problem themselves. You know, we are there... Uh, as kind of a catch-all in the event that you can't make something work. And then the judge is another layer of protection. So just jumping right into wanting to go to litigation, wanting to go to court, having a judge make a decision, those are the stop points that that sometimes, and I know the frustration, I know the client wants it over with yesterday, I know family law takes time, and I know that it takes time to get to court. So we need to make sure that we've got all of our ducks in a row so that we're not wasting time and, mo and money and resources and energy, because uh, that's really where they get really frustrated. Um, but on a final point on that, when you, you know, strategically tap the brakes, you got to be careful, too, because, you know, sometimes people are, are talking about reconciliation. And that sounds really great, but they're strategically planning themselves. They may have a big business event that's coming up. They may have some kid issues that you know, they may be on drugs or not ready to go to court yet. They're trying to clean out their system. There's all kinds of reasons why people sometimes tap the brakes strategically. And so we really have to look at it from a standpoint of, are we really trying to fix this? And is this the fix? And, and that's, that's what we do. And that's why, like I said in the beginning, that conversation, that ability to really think through the issue with the client, because there's no finite rules here, right? Family law, you have two scenarios in the best interest of the child just and right division of the marital estate. Well, you, that's just such a broad area. And we really have to think through, okay, on a modification, has there been a material and substantial change in circumstances? And if the answer is not yet, it doesn't mean that it won't come. And I don't also don't like people just sitting around and waiting for that. But that's the engagement of the consultation. That's the engagement of when we tap the brakes, these are feel issues sometimes too, as much as having a finite legal answer. All right. Well, on the topic of getting our ducks in a row, um, when you take a client to court or a client goes to court for divorce and custody issues, they are often called to testify in their case. So how do you prepare clients for cross-examination and what should people expect during a cross-examination in family law cases? Well, cross-examination generally is the purest art form 
of really, really knowing your case. You know, when you get the, the clients that call and say, I want the bulldog attorney or whatever, I think they think that we stand up and beat our chest and just get really abrasive in a courtroom. My favorite form of cross-examination is when they don't know you're coming. They don't see you coming. And so what I do with clients before we have a big contested hearing or blow up issue is I let them feel that direct and that real patient, calm, asking questions, open-ended questions. And the art of cross-examination is knowing the answer. And it's really restricting the client's ability to answer in a way that they want you to get their point across. You don't allow it. And so what happens is I, I do that switch back and forth where I start with direct, I make you feel comfortable. And then all of a sudden I fire right at you. Uh, and it's sometimes in an abrasive manner because I want to see your emotional rises and falls. I want to know how you answer questions. You know, a lot of clients, they jump right in there and they want to answer the question, you know, what is your name? Well, my name is da da da. And my mother named me this because of da da da. And that is not the question, right? So you got to really limit the question to what it, what you're focused on. And that's the art of cross-examination. And, and so when you really understand the point you're trying to get across and you really have a detailed timeline of the facts, I can lead the clients down a path and then bite them. And it's like a light bulb goes off because sometimes, you know, you got to kind of let them know nobody is perfect in this business. Nobody's perfect when they come for a divorce or a child custody case. I always say we don't represent Jesus or we'd be out of business. And so sometimes that awareness of going through cross and just going, they're going to ask me that? Oh, wait. That sometimes can get us to the point of where we're making resolution in the matter without court intervention or the need for that. Sometimes we just expose their flaws and they just feel beaten down and you just go, now let's let's get to fixing this. So the cross-examination, in my opinion, of your own client is the most important thing that you can possibly do. It calms the nerves. It lets them know that they've been in the game. They know what it's like to go to that fourth quarter and really put in that additional effort emotionally. And, and I think that's really the one area, if I could say, why do I need a really good lawyer? What really separates the good lawyers? I would say cross-examination and process and organization are the three key things uh, that you have there. All right. Well, Andrea, as a former client of Justin's, can you talk a little bit about how he helped you in regard to staying sane during your divorce and custody issues? Because it went on for a long time. So how did you keep your cool and how did you stay sane during all those challenges? Well, it's a long story, but <laughs> let's start with the cross-examination because Justin just talked about that. Going to court, if you've never been in court, is super scary super scary because um you feel like you're on your you are the one that did something wrong even if you didn't and you sit in front of a judge and you get interrogated about stuff and 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 if you're well prepared it is not a big deal if you know what's coming and if your lawyer prepares you well and and like justin said talks about it up front and this is how we're going to answer and we're going to have the answer with yes and no and no additional information until i get you there that calms the nerves, I think. Still, you're nervous. I was super nervous every single time. Um, and then again, it goes back to how well are you prepared for the hearing? Justin and Justin's mom back then too, we were really prepared. And the information that comes out in the hearing is not information that I shared with him yesterday. So he had the information for a long period of time. As I said before, the information that I thought important or was important was not necessarily important for him. So, but he has everything. He pulls out the stuff that he needs for the hearing. And then there's no surprises. If you hold back stuff and then all of a sudden in the courtroom, say something else that your lawyer has never heard about that can kill your case. So you need to be honest. 
And like Justin said, we all made mistakes. I made mistakes in how I handled my kids. I made mistakes in how I handled the divorce um, and how I responded. But your lawyer should always guide you. And then your lawyer guiding you, you know what to do. So I think there, there has to, and there has to be a relationship with the lawyer and the client. That's why Justin always says, not everybody is a match, meaning he is not the best match for everybody or the firm. And so is the client, not always the match. You spend a lot of time with your divorce attorney when you go through divorce. My divorce, I don't know what took it, three years, two and a half years, something like that back then, which was long back then. Now it's kind of normal. But you spend a lot of time with the attorney and you need to be able to trust them and you need to feel that they have your best interest in mind. You you need to know that they know your name, they know your case, they know you personally. You're not just a number that's get handed from one lawyer to the other. Big firms that I feel like I have friends who had who had lawyers in big firms and it was a new lawyer every other week because somebody got moved to a bigger case. So know your lawyer, build a relationship with them. And when you interview a lawyer in a consultation, it's an interview both ways. Do you feel like they are the right match for you personality wise? And then I think, and then you just have to follow your lawyer. They've been through this a million times. They've seen pretty much everything like a, just, like, like a judge has. They have seen everything in the courtroom so they can guide you and tell you what to do, what to say, what not to say. And again, you have to trust them. And if you don't trust them, it's the wrong lawyer. I think that's the most important thing. Trust your lawyer. Yeah, Mary, I, I want to touch on one thing too. Andre and I, we do this all the time where we go through, how do we make our business better? What is really value adding? How do we make the experience for our, our staff a good place to where the stress level is not high? We, we, we go through all these issues, issues just like every other business person does. And so one of the things that I'm really big on that works for our firm is I love having an associate attorney. And I most importantly, I love being able to walk into an office where I can bounce ideas off people. But I love having the layer of separation to a degree between, it really clears my head when I do the consult, I strategically think about the, the associate attorney and the support staff that need to be on that case to help with the issues, A, from a cost perspective and B, from just a process perspective of how we navigate through the case. So what's really unique to me, especially when you know we're starting to think the same way over these years, is when, when I get a timeline from a client, it's very detailed sometimes, and sometimes it doesn't have hardly any details. Uh, and that's, that's not a good way to do it, by the way. But, but when they have the details, then when the associate attorney carves out what I, they think is important for me. And then I look back at the big timeline. And I mean, last week was a great example. Alyssa, one of our attorneys, she's, she's absolutely fantastic at pulling the information. I look back and I go, I only added one or two things in addition to the timeline that I was able to then go into court with to really set the tone in the presentation. And, and clients don't understand how valuable that can be. They always want the guy or the girl on the sign. And believe me, I would love to be a one-person shop if I could do all these things and not have all the expenses like everybody else would be in business. Uh, you know, it's hard nowadays. You got employee issues, COVID, all the things that have been going on. And it's not easy to streamline the management of the business, the process, do law, do be a dad, all those things and 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 keep everybody going in the right direction. But the only reason why it's important to me to, to do the consult, and I don't do all of them, but I do the majority of them, I would say most, uh, is because I really need to feel the fit. And, and that's the good thing about a boutique firm, in my opinion, is we really know each other well. Um, and so I know if a personality type is not going to fit well with, with somebody. And one of my struggles, honestly, is when I have to tell 
somebody that's trying to hire us know. I'm trying to get better about that, honestly. When, it's not a rejection thing. It's just a fit thing. And so the structure and how we process the things that we're doing throughout a case, we're getting better at it over the years with more experience. But but I'm very big on making sure that um, I have my pulse on the ground. You know, Andrea talked about this morning about growth. And you know, we, we're rapidly growing and we're trying to make sure that we keep that balance between growth and making sure that our brand has the utmost importance and, and caring about the clients and all those things. But you know, a lot of people want your service when you do things right. And then all of a sudden you do too much at one time, you can really cheapen your brand. So we challenge that balance all the time. And, and it's something we're getting better at daily. Yeah. You, you've been doing it for a long time. So you keep getting better all the time. That's well, good. I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, going back to some other issues that people face during divorce and how you as an attorney help them handle that is that sometimes a divorce and custody case can drag on for a variety of different reasons. So what are different options that you recommend to clients or that you guide clients in when they're having a family law matter that's dragging? And again, we got to go back to the, whether it's strategic to drag it on a little bit, uh, whether it's a necessity to drag it on a little bit, or whether it's just laziness, right? So those are three important issues because you know, sometimes you have somebody that's trying to get on their feet, you know, they, they are the, they've been the stay at home parent and they don't have education or they don't have a job. Uh, and so you're trying to get them on their feet financially. And some people take advantage of that, right? They, they just want the case to drag on. So they get money and they get paid. And he, he, those clients are never really happy because it's the stress. I mean, a lot of people I think operate the same way I do, which is you know, if I have something as small as a toilet go out, that's the only thing I think about until they come fix it. Um, and so when you drag these cases on, you've got all these issues there, all the uncertainties. I, I think that it can be a problem, but there's certain circumstances that require it, like we just talked about. And then, you know, if somebody's just being lazy, they're not making a move or they don't like the conflict and they don't want to approach the the issue head on. You know, we get clients that say, hey, look, we're just we're kind of in a holding pattern. And I always ask them, well, are you are you reconciling? Uh, or do you want a non-suit? I'm real big on just let's keep the case moving so that we stay with process, you know, but but to move forward in a case, the purest way to do that is to set our deadlines. So pre-trial scheduling orders, set your, set your trial date. You've got your mediation deadlines, your discovery deadlines. And I have some people say, well, Justin, look, we need to be in a holding pattern on this case. We don't want to set the trial too, you know, too quickly. Let me just assure the folks out there, you're not getting a trial date set quickly no matter how how bad you want to it takes it can take up to a year sometimes more time to get a trial date set so all of those steps that come into play with respect to discovery mediation that's how we move these cases and it may not be exactly what you want it may not be exactly what you feel you want but you don't know that yet and so i like to get these deadlines in place that's the simplest way as far as moving the case forward and the other thing too is you know, you've got some lawyers that communicate, they, they pick up their phone, they email, they respond. And then you've got some lawyers that just don't. And then you've got some clients on the other side that don't communicate with their lawyer. So they actually pick up the phone, call them, say, hey, what's the VIN number? Well, I'll get back to you. And then they take a month to get back to them. And, you know, so we get cases where we've had decrees and orders and proposals over sitting in the inbox somewhere in the other side. And we're sitting there in a waiting pattern. And I know that can be frustrating, but there's also managing the financial side of that. So sometimes clients, you know, they run low on money. Uh, and so you've got to set a hearing to, to get a motion to enter or whatever done. 
that can be frustrating because you're like, well, how come they don't have to pay the fees for that? And we can get money judgments. We can have courts order these things. And I know we're going to get to that in a second. The reality is they may not pay them. And so again, all of this comes down to the strategic planning. And if we think about that, okay, is your is your spouse the kind of person that's responsive? No, they never, they he just sits on the couch or she sits on the couch and you know they don't handle their own business. They're not going to be a great client on the other side, right? And so we've got to keep moving uh, the needle, pushing the envelope and getting those deadlines in place. And once we have them, we make sure that we're monitoring that. We're looking at our calendar. We're seeing when the next step is and when we actually need to have the communication with the client. And there will be some lag period. There will be some holding pattern. But long-winded way of, of just saying, you've got to have the process. You've got to make sure you stick to a plan. Sometimes it's strategic. Sometimes it's things outside of our control, judges, courts. And sometimes it's just laziness on the other side. If it's laziness on our side, that's where I've got a real problem. And that's where I, I mean, we have meetings and we go through that and we jump at those issues. So Andrea, I know in your, your divorce and custody case, it, it, as you said earlier, things got really dragged on. And a lot of that was intentional, I think, from your ex. So you want to talk a little bit about that situation and kind of how Justin helped you through that and how to keep things going and finally resolve your case? Yes, Justin mentioned it. it's it's emotionally draining because it's this thing that's luring out there and and again it's it's scary and you don't know when especially if the other side keeps pushing buttons and telling you stuff. Um, one thing that he always said to me is just like don't worry what he says and if he has to say something he can say it through his lawyer. Don't answer his phone calls. You don't need to answer his emails. You just do your thing unless it's about the kids and something that really pertains to the kids. You don't need to respond. So don't even put yourself emotionally into into having feeling that you have to respond to a text or, or email. You don't have to. And sorry, um, sorry to interrupt, but that that is case specific. Correct. For me, that was because he was pushing my buttons and trying to get me engaged and try to rally me up and doing all kinds of crazy stuff that he did. And so you always said, like, don't engage, just let focus on the kids. Another thing that was important is we pretty much got everything we wanted in the temporary uh, orders. So thinking about it, he, he kept telling me too, nothing is really going to change once you have that signed, that divorce decree, because you have everything already the way we're going to go for that. You have the kids the majority of the time. He has them every other weekend, but you have everything already in place. So there is not a huge change coming that I needed to push for. I had everything the way I wanted it. So I just had to get through the whole thing emotionally. And then on my thing, and in my case, it was really, he changed lawyers. I don't know how many times, eight times or something. I don't, we stopped counting at some point. He didn't respond to his lawyers. Like Justin said, they send him stuff out and um, he didn't respond um, and then, and then we had to ask and ask and ask. And then at some point we just said like, we'll just wait. It's not, nothing's going to change. And then when he kept going, dragging me back into court after the divorce was final, um, I, I, at some point even stopped thinking about doing that. Even if there was something, cause we said like, what is it going to bring? Because judgments in Texas is not going to bring anything. So the, we kind of like just laid low. He brought all kinds of cases against or tried to bring cases against me and, and Justin squashed them, pretty much all of them. So he, again, it goes back to, do you have a good relationship with your lawyer? Can you trust your lawyer and then follow their advice? And emotionally, that's, a, that's my advice to anybody out there going to going through divorce, your divorce attorney is not your counselor. So in the staff of the law firm is also not your counselor. They're not the people that need to listen to you. You need to find a divorce group. There's all kinds of, whether it's through church or through 
through a counselor. There's all kinds of groups out there that you can communicate with. They do not mind listening to your same story 50 times because you're going to say the same story 50 times because it's emotionally draining. Find groups like that and share with them. And then you find a lot of like-minded people that go through the same thing that helps you through the whole process emotionally. I mean, you have good friends anyway, but they get tired of listening to the same stuff over and over again too being in divorce groups and and, and at church and divorce care groups, I think helped me a lot to also stay sane and not bother him with every little thing that happened. Because then if you talk to somebody bounce, bounce off what happened, they often say like, well, it's, is it really that important? And it wasn't. So no, even no need to call my attorney. I think that kind of curtails us into the last question here. And, and I love this one, Justin, you recently, Recently won a substantial amount of legal fees for one of your clients because they were being dragged back to court over and over again by their other, the other person in that situation, their ex. So can you explain what happened in that particular situation and give some tips for people listening out there who might be in a situation like that where their legal fees are, are climbing and climbing due to actions of the other party? Sure. That, that case, in my opinion, was one of the times... And I've seen this a few times in my career where a judge really gets outside of the box and does the right thing in a big way. Because at the end of the day, Andrea touched on the issue of judgments not really having a lot of weight in Texas. When you have certain people that are judgment proof, okay, they don't pay their bills, they have bad credit, they don't have anything to really attach. Uh, that's where Texas can be what we call the most debtor friendly state in the union uh, because you can't put them in jail for certain circumstances. Uh, the courts can give you a money judgment, but they may not have any resources to a bank account to attach to any kind of property that's not their homestead or their retirement. And, you know, there are ways to go and attack these judgments, but some people just literally will self-destruct and they won't follow the laws in Texas. They won't pay their bills. They don't brush their teeth. They're the simple things, right? <laughs> I mean, some people are just literally worthless, and so they, those kind of people, I'm really, I give the cautionary tale to of let's get you out of the litigation. Let's get away from that person, but that's not going to be the meal ticket, right? And expecting attorney's fees and waiting for those payments, they cost money. We spend more energy. And if, if it's not a, a, a turn up, we can bleed. We need to really think about that, right? And so that this, this particular case uh, has been ongoing litigation. I'm I'm the fourth or fifth attorney. And, and again, I'm very particular. If you've had a bunch of attorneys, I'm real careful before I take your case. Okay. But this particular client, you know, she she had a very compelling story and 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 she's had good lawyers. It's just, you know, it's sometimes people really take advantage when they're and they have a huge financial windfall. In this case is massive. I mean, it's a big financial difference in their earnings. Um, and in a SAPSER or a custody case, you don't have the luxury of having jurisdiction over the property uh, the way you do in a uh, divorce case. So even though there was money to go after interim attorney's fees and things like that, that you can have the ability to get in a divorce case, very difficult in a SAPSER. And this judge really got outside the box. Obviously, I can't mention names, but this was a recent case with high profile people and athletes and all that other jazz, right? So you, you deal with uh, some of this stuff when you have a lot of financial resources, one party totally neglecting uh, their responsibilities and more importantly, wanting other people to make the life hell, for lack of a better legal word, uh, on one of the parents who's sometimes does all the stuff, all the things, all the 
to and from doctors, to and from school. And, and the other side just doesn't like that person uh, being in charge and has a lot of financial resources. And that court came back and made a very big ruling, not once, but twice. And it, it really has, I don't want to say leveled the playing field because the attorney's fees, 50 grand here, or 10 grand here to a lot of people are going, whoa, you got that. And in, in, in some people's lenses, that's a big amount of money. But when you deal with numbers in the millions and millions and millions, you know, $50,000 a blip on the radar, but it's not to, to our client. And it, it allows her to not be taken advantage of. It allows her to be heard. It allows the message to be sent. If you're going to continue this path, you know, even if it's not impacting you financially the way that it would impact some other people, you can't feel like you've had a good day when you've had five or six different attorneys in different states. They're testifying to hundreds of thousands of dollars. And, you know, we're, we're walking around with Twenty or thirty thousand dollars in a very contested custody case, uh, you can't feel like you're really got the upper hand there. And I think deep down, if that client the time to really engage and look at this, they would definitely know that they're not on the upper hand here. And that's not to be boastful. It's not to toot our horn about what we've done. It's that there is justice out there. You know, it, it's not always immediate. And it may not be in the exact uh, wrapper and box that you may think it's supposed to be in, but there is justice out there. And these judges try really hard. You know, I got, I got the newspaper the other day asking me some criticism about some judge. I said, look, if, if the people that are making these complaints sit in that courtroom and listen to all the evidence, if they were on every phone call, if they were on every email and knew all the communications and all the effort that that court may have done, they may not have the same perspective that this court isn't going to do X, Y, or Z, or this judge is terrible, or I've heard this terrible war story. And I, I just can't stand when people get placed in boxes. And, and this judge, I mean, I, I can't tell you how neat it was to walk out of a courtroom and really feel like that judge listened, thought outside the box. We prepared well. We went through some case law that was loosely based in certain areas because, again, people run out of money in family law, so they don't just rush up to the Court of Appeals, and you don't always get the best decisions from the Court of Appeals with clarity. But this judge did a great job there. The client, you know, she's not overly happy about the fact that she has to be engaged in this stressful matter, but she knows that we can't kill this guy. We can't shoot him. He's the father, and hopefully he 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 wisens up. And the only way you get that to happen is – uh, in my world where you got a lot of moving parts is they got to go through discovery. They got to have some pain points. They got to leave their business or their job and come to court and sit through some stressful events. And that takes time. And I always use the analogy of the mosaic, right? These are little pieces of the mosaic and you can't see the big picture until we get to the end game, which is generally the trial. And a lot of times we don't get to the trial. So I hear clients go, well, nothing really happened in my case. There's about 2000 emails and phone calls that would controvert that and the case is over with. It's leading them to water, making them drink, making them responsible and having accountability. And that's that's really all we do uh, in family law. And I, I use the analogy of the realtor sometimes. And some people say, well, my realtor didn't do anything. They just listed my house. You get emotional when you're selling your house and you go in there and you say, well, you don't like my shutters. And you, all of a sudden you and that buyer aren't getting along very well. That's what we do is we lead them there. We help them through these process. We go through these issues and attorney's fees and balancing that situ situation can be a very great way to equalize the playing field. Well, I think that's a great place to wrap up today, you two. Any any final thoughts on our topics today? No, I'm looking forward to continuing to explore these issues. I know I know that these these podcasts may not touch on the very issue, but I really do love the open dynamic. Um, you know, this is this is just as much fun for 
me to do. Uh, this isn't a job. This is hopefully helpful and beneficial. I really appreciate y'all. And, you know, we'll keep getting better with content. We're going to keep launching new things. Uh, and some days will be directly on point and some days it won't. Um, but uh, thank you to listeners. And we're looking forward to working with you in the future. Yeah, absolutely. And we're always open to hearing from you um, folks that are listening to us. If you have any topics that you want us to touch on, please let us know. And if you'd like to get in touch with the Sizemore Law Firm, you can call the firm at 817-336-4444 or visit lawyerdfw.com. And of course, please follow our podcast and share it with friends who might find it helpful. Thanks again for listening and have a great day. Thank you for listening to In Your Best Interest with Texas divorce attorney and entrepreneur, Justin Sizemore. The content presented here is provided for information only and should not be construed as legal, tax, or financial advice. Click the follow button to be notified when new episodes become available.